Welcome to School C. I'm Jay Mornette, and joining me today on a special edition is Dr. Karen Sullivan. She's the superintendent of Indian Prairie School District 204. And I've got Dan Bridges with us. He's the superintendent of Naperville Community Unit School District 203. So welcome to all of you. Thank you so much for joining me. We're gonna spend a few minutes today talking about the impact that COVID-19 has had on the educational system. It's certainly, we have two of the largest school districts in the state of Illinois, and I'm sure for both Dan and for Karen that March 13th is gonna be a day they never forget, the day that the governor announced that effective March 17th, we were gonna to go to remote e-learning and the Illinois schools were gonna close. So I can't imagine that feeling. I'm gonna start with you, Karen, you know, sort of, what was your immediate reaction and how has your district pivoted to this new way of learning? Well, um, we got a little bit of a preview, probably only a few hours before that, you know, the governor was gonna make that announcement. So for us, we were fortunate that we had a um, professional learning day scheduled for that following Monday. So um, I immediately told, told uh, my staff they need, we need to cancel everything that had been prepped for that day and to uh, focus on how we were going to take um, our e-learning plan in, you know, forward and to use that day to plan um, like that. The next day was actually election day, and we were off that day because a number of our schools are polling places. So we began our um, e-learning plan on the 18th. So we were fortunate in District 204 because we had prepped for e-learning. We had a, a plan already approved by the Regional Office of Education, but those were for snow days. Those were for the idea that, you know, one or two days would be off, not six to 10 weeks, right? So I think we were in um, a better shape. I think both of our districts were in um, a good, good shape compared to many districts across the state. Um, we had our kids on that Friday take um, their devices home. We have one-to-one -one from grades two um, through high school. And, you know, for some students that we knew that didn't have any access at home, maybe another computer at home and at K-1, we loaned those out. We emptied out our LMC pretty much of books, especially at the elementary level, let kids take whatever, uh, check out whatever they needed. So um, by that weekend, you know, kids would have at home what they needed to have. Um, so almost immediately started trying to figure out what we needed to do to help staff to better understand what this is going to look like. Though so I think at that point, and Dan, maybe you'll agree, none of us thought it was, didn't think it would be this long um, or that it would go through the remainder of the school year. Um, so that really was a, a, you know, a big pivot from what we had planned for, for snow days, to what became what the, what the state was calling remote learning. Dan, kind of build on that because, uh, yeah, I, I, I think your reaction, luckily you had those two days, right, Karen? I mean, that really makes a big difference. How, how did it go in 203, Dan? Yeah, so very, so many similarities between what how 204 got ready and how 203 got ready. Uh, we didn't have the luxury of the two planning days in our schedule there that, uh, by coincidence, Karen had, so we had to respond a little differently. But I'll also add, you know, we'll back up a little bit. Um, Karen and I had been on the phone much of Thursday, early Friday with each other and other superintendents in the area, really talking about trying to understand 
what was going on with this virus, how it was impacting our, our nation and how it was impacting us locally. And we had each actually announced the decision to suspend in-person instruction ourselves prior to the government, governor's announcement on the 13th. Uh, so we had a little bit of, a, of a, um, a leg up in terms of the planning for it. And then when the governor did make that announcement, Karen said it was just spot on. Uh, I, I would not have predicted at that time, knowing what I knew at that time, that we would be almost in May and still um, with the suspension of in-person instruction and knowing that we wouldn't have in-person instruction for the remainder of the year. So, you know, as we've come to learn more about this virus, how it spreads and the impact it's had on society, uh, we certainly had to respond in many different ways. Uh, Karen talked a little bit about the e-learning plans that, that districts had had in place. Uh, we had not submitted one for approval by to the Regional Office of Education yet. We had been working on developing it. And so we had our skeleton in, in place, had a framework in place. And beginning on Friday the 13th, over the weekend into Monday, we had uh, put a uh, plan together, uh, submitted it to the Regional Office of Education, had it approved. Uh, and then on Monday, determined there would be uh, no student learning on that day so that we could have an in, a professional development day to work with our staff on understanding the plan and how to do the e-learning. And a very important uh, um, thing about e the e-learning plans that Karen mentioned, I just want to emphasize, those were for temporary period of time. Those were imagining snow days or cold days for a short period of time. Uh, you know, never when, when the legislation for e-learning days was approved did we anticipate several weeks uh, in months uh, of suspension of in-person instruction. So we've really had to adapt and modify it as the time has gone on and our more time out of, out of class. But, um, you know, I want to give credit to my staff, and I know Karen would with hers. Um, our professionals responded um, in an amazing manner, uh, very responsive to thinking about what's most important for our kids and understanding really that at a time like this, the most important thing we have to do is think about how we support, connect, and provide structure for our kids and our families to ensure that they, they feel safe, they feel connected, and able to learn. So, you know, I... we. We, we talk about, you know, we just never really imagine a situation or scenario like this, but I know both 203 and 204 uh, have responded in a manner that really puts the, the, the heart of our kids in understanding what they need first. Well, and I think, uh, you know, well said, I mean, I think, you know, you've had to very quickly get into a completely new way of doing business, if you will. And um, for those of us who are not in the school system, we don't have kids coming home. You talked about those e-learning plans. Give us a little bit of an idea of what that looks like at the different levels, right? Because I think for many of us, we can sort of imagine what that might look like at a high school level little bit more difficult to figure out what that looks like at our younger level. So perhaps you could just give us an idea of sort of how is that working through elementary and middle, junior, high, and into high school. Dan, do you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. When we, uh, at the elementary level especially, um, our primary focus really has been um, kind of designing instruction primarily focused around math and literacy um, in terms of the majority of our time. Uh, but again, with that focus and a lens on ensuring that we're very, we're, we're caring about the social emotional needs of our kids. Um, we also have to understand that, uh, the, the family dynamic and at home dynamic is different, um, for all of our families. It's not all the same. So we have, we have kids who, whose parents may both be first responders. Uh, and who aren't available to support remote instruction during the day. We've had to design our, our, our program with that in mind. 
we may have two parents at home who are able to provide that support. So we've got we, we, we've got to keep that in mind. And then anywhere in the continuum between one parent at home and so on and so forth. So we've really tried to kind of think really what are the essential learning standards that we have to focus on to ensure that there's a continuation of learning uh, and that we can we also have to think about not just learning today, but what is it going to look like in the fall of, of 2020? What's it going to look like years beyond? And so our focus then really has been on identifying those essential standards, thinking about math and literacy primarily um, and the social emotional supports that we can embed throughout that curriculum. Then also how we enter, uh, you know, how we bring in some of the components like uh, art, music, PE and some of those other areas. You know, a lot of our science is hands on. Based. So we've had to think about how do we provide, you know, recommendations or ideas for families to work together to kids get the, some of those hands on experiences. And then as we transition into the junior high school, uh, we look at more of a kind of a block schedule approach. Uh, we have uh, some guidance from the state of Illinois on uh, kind of minimum and maximum amounts of times that we should be providing instruction, because let's let's be honest again, as we talk about it is different than in person instruction. And so kind of what we design has to has to be thoughtful about the the various dynamics that our kids have at home. Yeah, I think uh, I I am definitely feeling uh, grateful that I am not in that time of life where I have my kids at home because that's a that's a big challenge. That's a really big challenge, and I think you articulated well. Everybody's situation is different. Karen, say a little bit about what you're seeing in two hundred four as that relates to the curriculum. Well, very similar to how Dan described it. I think our, our teams looked at, you know, we had essentially finished our third quarter um, and really looked at then what was in the fourth quarter that was coming up. What were those essential standards we wanted to make sure students had? Um, because, you know, what we're doing with remote learning is not a total replication of the school day. It just can't be. Um, and we received, you know, um, guidance from the State Board of Education about that because of all the things that Dan mentioned about families in different situations. Um, also, our own teachers. Our own teachers may have their own students home with them doing remote learning as well. Or, you know, as Dan said, they're working remotely. Or So we have to take that all into place. I think some people think of it or, or maybe visualize it as, you know, kids being in front of the computer like the whole day, and that's not the case. So sometimes our teachers will um, videotape, just like we're doing right now, uh, a lesson that kids can look at at other times and then provide assignments. I think most of our live interactive um, meetings with kids, I'm thinking everybody knows the word Zoom now, I think in the entire community, right? Right. Are really for teachers to do that, check in the social emotional stuff that Dan talked about, um, maybe occasionally do some live teaching, um, but for the most part, that is the, we're going to connect, we're going to try to continue to build our, our classroom um, school community. Um, we have teachers and we have principals and leaders doing, um, you know, morning announcements via video, via social media, on Instagram or other, you know, ways to try to keep kids feeling connected to their school. Um, but, you know, it's not, it's not the same as being in, in the building. So, um, so there's, you know, live things happening. There are things that are offline where kids are working on the computer, but a teacher is not right there with them um, that are going on. I think Dan and I were really fortunate, especially at the high school level, 
that we were involved in a consortium doing online classes at the high school level. I think we've both felt that our students really need that experience going out into colleges, universities, the world of work, whatever, that they'd have to learn how to learn online. Um, and so we had some best practices on online learning that we've learned through that, that, you know, our team took some of that and shared that with our teachers, you know, throughout the district. So um, it's very, it's different. I, I will share for K-1, and I don't know what, Dan, what you guys are doing with K-1, but, you know, K-1, different, um, you know, while we're still doing some Zoom meetings for our, you know, teachers to try to connect with the, the kids, we did deliver learning packets um, for those students. So they have some paper pencil kinds of activities. So um, that that's a piece of what that looks like. But second grade on up, really most of it is being delivered, you know, electronically one way or another. Dan, how is that for uh, for you in those kindergarten, first grade, similar approach? Yeah, very, very similar. Even thinking about our early childhood programs, too, it's just that, uh, you know, that the, although, you know, our kids today are digital natives, right? They've grown up with technology, a, a part of their life. Um, a a five-year-old kindergarten student navigates uh, technology a little bit differently than our seniors in high school, right? So we've had to be thoughtful about, you know, we, we want to continue learning for our kids in the best way that we can under the current conditions. We want to do so in a way that allows them to be self-directed learners at whatever age they are and doesn't put too much of a focus on the mom, the dad, the, the, the grandparent, the aunt, the uncle, the garden, the, whoever it is uh, that's with that child during the day. Um, it, it's learning for the child, right? And so we've had to think about a, you know, a variety of ways in which we can provide that type of instruction. So just like Karen mentioned with, with 204, it's through live instruction, recorded instruction, online, um, self-direction, uh, paper and pencil packets, and just other, you know, recommendations for how to get out in, in, you know, wellness right now is a very important part of what we're doing to ensure that, you know, our, our kids have uh, and our families have recommendations on how to remain uh, mentally and physically fit. So it's uh, really thinking about what's, what's most important for our kids, and that's their health, their wellness, and their safety, uh, and putting an emphasis really on that with, with then how do we continue to provide uh, uh, areas of instruction for continued growth in, in, in some of the more essential areas. So uh, it, it looks, uh, yeah, very similar between 203 and 204, I think. Yeah, and I think, you know, just kind of thank you for giving us that little bit of a sense. And I think maybe the one class we won't have to do any makeup in is any technology, because I think that that's pretty much taking care of itself right now for all of us and probably a lot for our uh, parents. But talk a little bit, because I know one of the critical things and, and one of the things that your staff and the districts really work hard at uh, all year round is that wellness and supporting all of your families, no matter what their situation looks like. And I know one of the big parts for that is food distribution. You have a lot of students across both districts uh, who rely on the school district for breakfast and for lunch. Um, so how has that transitioned as you've gone into this remote e-learning situation? Karen? Well, we had to pivot really quickly um, in, you know, District 204. We're at about 16.5% um, of students who qualify for free and reduced lunch in our district. That equates to, you know, 5,000-some students. That's a lot of students. Um, so we had to look at how are we going to uh, continue to provide those meals to students during this time and keep our essential workers safe 
um, in doing so. So there was a lot of planning that happened from the day that the governor closed us all up through that weekend until that first Wednesday. We started meal distribution that first day um, on the 18th when we started, you know, our um, our remote learning. So um, we're serving right now about 3,300 meal packets a day uh, across our district. We're serving them at our elementary buildings, their grab-and-go meals. Um, our bus drivers and our food service workers are helping prepare and distribute those. So, you know, families drive up, tell us how many they need. We give it to them. They drive. They drive on through. So, um, that was also another pivot, not only for us but for. Um, our partners um, that work with us in terms of transportation and, and food food service. So um, I think people don't really think about that. And we started out much, much lower numbers, and those numbers have continued to increase every week. Um, I think as this, you know, pandemic has progressed and more people find themselves out of work and really need, you know, that extra assistance that we're providing. I, I, I just don't think that our community totally um, understands how many students in both of our districts really rely on us or two of their meals in a day. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, I know um, that's been an ongoing conversation. You both have education foundations that really come alongside and try to support you in that way. But, um, you know, having just talked to a lot of the leaders in the not-for-profit community, I mean, they're seeing their numbers escalate significantly, mm -hmm. whether that's at the food banks or that's at the homeless shelters or that's at the job centers. Uh, we're just seeing that sort of tsunami come across the community. And certainly uh, District 203, District 204 are not immune to that at all. Um, Dan, talk a little bit, if you would, you know, we talked about how the curriculum is playing out. Um, but as you think about the impact that's had on your staff, I mean, you talked about, obviously, that they're your frontline uh, workers, you know. Uh, how is that transition being for them? And, and what are some of the biggest stresses that they're finding in this new way forward? Yeah, I, I want to just say a couple things on that previous topic first, that uh, just like Karen, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Jane, and you mentioned it. I, I think sometimes our, our community uh, doesn't quite recognize just how much the school systems have to provide support for their families and, and for their kids. Just like Karen's district, while we're a smaller district, percentage-wise, we're about 16% uh, of our families also qualify for free and reduced lunch. So we've served well over 15,000 meals already during this time. And you mentioned foundations, and I just want to, you know, give a shout-out to both of our foundations. Specifically, for me, I'll say NEF um, had to quickly pivot themselves because we had to cancel our Building a Passion uh, breakfast prior to the, uh, the pandemic. And uh, they quickly pivoted um, and started a uh, Kid Booster Crisis Fund campaign. Uh, since the start of this pandemic has raised over $150,000, uh, which is able to provide financial support for our families related to housing. Um, we, you know, we have, have people who are out of work right now and can't afford housing. They can work through our social workers to access funds through our foundation to do that, provide meals over the weekends, maybe when they can't access them when we're distributing them, also for transportation needs as well as mental health needs. So the community has really pulled together uh, to really uh, support our kids during this time of crisis. And that includes our staff as well. So for us, our staff, I think, um, you know, we think about uh, kind of where we had been in terms of uh, delivery of instruction. And I think, you know, we, we um, in both districts, fairly traditional in our thinking that it's in-person, face-to-face every day. Uh, our staff has uh, first, hats off to them, how, how closely they pulled together 
to be able to think about what's best for kids and how can we do this to support our kids, focusing most specifically uh, on relationships. Uh, driving to my office today through the neighbor neighborhood, for example, yard signs all over, you know, neighbor students, we miss you, love the staff, you know, and it's just, it, it's just really um, been, you know, heartening to see just how much uh, or how well our staff has pulled together to really think about what's important for kids. Um, and I think, you know, I, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit later about, you know, what are the roses that can come from this? Um, I think our staff has pushed themselves in a way that will positively impact their instruction for years to come. Because I think, you know, they never imagined being in a scenario or situation like, like we are right now. Um, and I couldn't be more proud of how well we pulled it off. So I think, you know, it's going to really force us to have some great conversations about what does education in the future look like and how can we take lessons that we have learned uh, from this experience to make, you know, education in the future much more relevant, much more rigorous, much more interactive and much different so that as our kids go out uh, post-secondary into the world, um, you know, I, I'd like to think they have a sense, hey, we handled this, we can take care of anything. Yeah, I think that's really well said, uh, Dan, in the sense that I think everybody has sort of, it's a little bit, everybody just got dumped in the hot water. You know, it's like the old biology experiment, right? You know, you put the frog in the cold water, bring it to the boil, you got frog's legs for dinner. You know, you throw the frog in, it it leaps right out. Um, and I think everybody's had to really do that in their businesses, whether that's education, social services, uh, just restaurants, everybody has had to really figure it out. Uh, and, and pull together. Kieran, talk about your stuff. I mean, you've got a huge number of people. And again, when we talk about stuff, I think oftentimes people immediately think about the frontline teachers, but you have so many other professionals that work to support that in-classroom learning. How is it being in your district and, and what are you seeing from stuff? Well, you know, same as Dan. I mean, I have nothing but, um, you know, pride for what's happening with our staff. They've all really um, jumped in, and I, I think the idea that they they know that the social emotional um, needs of our kids really come first, and they've really jumped in to try to make sure that that's the case. Um, everybody's looked at what their role is um, and what they need to do to be a part of that. Whether they're a, a counselor or a dean or some of the people that you talked about that aren't necessarily always right in front of students in a classroom, everybody has a role to play in this whole. Um, remote learning piece, whether that's following up on students that maybe a teacher hasn't heard from in a couple days, um, or um, working with our um, students with disabilities, which is really a, a, a struggle during these remote learning period times, because you just, some, some of the services that our students um, need are just very difficult to do, you know, remotely or through teletherapy or those other kinds of things. So really getting extremely creative about how we can deliver instruction, deliver other kinds of services, how we can make sure that, that students are okay, um, and if there are any other supports that they need, um, that we can get them those supports, whether that's something that the school provides or something outside that one of our perhaps not-for-profit partners you know, helps us with. So I think everybody's really um, rose to the task. I will tell you the day that the governor announced that we weren't coming back, was probably the hardest day our staff had. Dan, I'm sure, agrees with that. That you know, teachers really had this 
vision, I think we all did, of at least coming back for to see our kids one last time. I think that was really hard um, for them, but I think they took a day and then they were back up at it, right? Yeah. So we have to support our kids. We have to get through this. Um, so I think, you know, we've had to figure out how do we support our staff through it because they're, they're grieving just as much as some of our students are about not being able to come back. Yeah. I think, um, obviously, and you just sort of touched on, that's got to be one of your biggest challenges, right? Because, as you said, you, you may be a teacher, but you're also teaching at home yourself. You know, a lot of your, your staff is also, I know, Dan, you're doing, you know, a lot of people are having to do that themselves while trying to work. So, you know, even just on the things of dividing out the house, how does that work? Do you have internet connection? All of these kinds of things. Lots and lots of challenges. Um, Talk a little bit, because we talked about staff and we talked about students, but we've got sort of the third leg of that triangle, right, which is the parents. Um, how, how, from both of your perspectives, just a little bit about how you've seen that parental response to this new situation, because obviously that is having a big impact. Dan, why didn't you kick us off? Yeah, you know, our parents, I, I know in both districts throughout our communities have just always been tremendous partners uh, uh, with us in, in, in terms of ensuring that uh, our, our kids in our schools are getting the best experience that they can get. And obviously, um, our parents have had to really step up as our educational partners during this crisis, uh, and, and they have done so remarkably. Um, you know, none of us as educators, we didn't ever ask to be in a situation like this educationally and have to deliver instruction this way. And we know our parents moved to our community to send kids to 203 and to 204 because of the quality of instruction that they get in the classroom from the teachers that we put in front of those kids. And so to have that kind of pulled away from them and a lot more responsibility for that part put on, on the parent uh, on day to day, I, I, I couldn't be more grateful and thankful for how well our parents have stepped up. Our community has been overwhelmingly supportive, grateful, uh, and appreciative of the efforts that we have we have brought, and I am so grateful to them for that. Um, and I think for our parents, though, just like us, and like our staff, you know, uh, Friday, March thirteenth, I was kind of a, huh, what does this mean for me now? <laughs> and then as we've kind of progressed through this, you know, uh, in our uh, our stay at home has extended, uh, our roles have changed, and. You know, I think um, I, I appreciate and I empathize with uh, with the parents on, on what is this going to mean for my child long term and how is this going to impact my kid? My household has five kids right now, a junior in high school, senior in high school, two uh, sophomores in college and a senior in college. So remote learning is taking place full time as well for me with a lot of questions. As I said, two seniors, one in high school and one in college. They didn't ask for this. This is not the senior season, they, they, or senior year that they expected. Um, so as parents, then, I, too, have had to step up and balance that, being the superintendent and doing my job with providing support, not just in, you know on, on the academics part of it, but hang in there. Keep your chin up. Let's fight through this. We can do this. And I think that's what you know. I would just ask our parents, remember, right now, it's the health, the safety, and the wellness of our kids are the most important thing. Our kids are resilient. Our kids are going to... The, the lessons that they're learning through this crisis right now will be with them forever and, and will be things that make them stronger, make them better problem solvers, more complex thinkers. I mean, this is not the type of education we planned for, but how our families um, and how our kids are responding to it, the support of our staff in both of our districts, 
I'm really excited for the things coming in the future, to be honest with you, because, you know, they've had to really tackle a very difficult situation. And as families, they've done it remarkably. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you talk and we kind of talked a little bit about lessons learned. And Karen, I'll let you kind of chat a little bit about the parents and, and then maybe transition us into, you know, we've talked a lot here at the station and we talked in the uh, the social services about the importance of debriefing when we get done with this and the importance of really figuring out uh, what are the new things that we're going to take forward that will make us better, stronger, faster, all of those kinds of things, more empathetic, et cetera. What have you learned uh, and what have you seen from your parent community and what have you learned in uh, District 204 as you've come through, you know, now going on six weeks and as you said, without the ability to have closure for your families and I'm sure that's one of the larger challenges. Yeah, well, I, I think that Dan said it very well. Our parents also have been extremely supportive um, and have really, you know, stepped up to the to the best of their ability and, and like we said earlier, we know that everybody, just like our teachers, have very different situations you know, at their at their homes. And I, I think that one of the things that we've said from the very beginning is that, you know, giving each other grace and flexibility is really important throughout this entire um, process. And so I think we've tried to mirror that for, you know, parents and for our staff. Um, I, I think our teachers or our staff or parents, I'm sorry, have had um, a, a new appreciation for what some of our teachers you know, do, which I think is, has been, uh, you know, very nice. And they've certainly expressed that to um, our teachers. I think that um, there's, a, you know, like a number of lessons learned uh, with this. While I think both 203 and 204, you know, are, you know, we're well ahead of the curve of many districts in terms of, you know, e-learning and, you know, uh, using technology appropriately in you know, education, this has thrown everybody in to the pool, to the deep end of the pool. <laughs> so <laughs> I think fast. we have <laughs> exactly. <fast. laughs> so those who maybe were staying over on the shallow end um, have, you know, learned an incredible amount about what can be done to um, enhance um, learning that I think this is going to impact our classrooms forever. Um, I, I think this is going to be the case across the state. I think we're going to be looking at some things differently. Um, both of our districts have dabbled a little bit in what's called blended learning at the high school, where it's kind of a combination of in-person um, plus, you know, technology. And I think we're going to talk more about what that might look like. I, I don't, I don't think anyone craves not having that in-person. Um, I think everybody sees the importance of that, and I do think that one of the things that I hope our students um, take from this is I see students now craving that in-person um, connection that before we were all worried about the time they were spending on their device, right? Totally. To the exclusion, we said, of that other in-person. And now I see, you know, kids and students kind of craving that actually being in the room and not on a computer screen, you know, with, uh, with each other. So, I think we're going to see, you know, the the use of um, technology and how that impacts learning, changing um, our, the comfort of our staff in terms of using it, um, changing how we work. I mean, we we we've talked about all of that, but we had to learn how to do payroll remotely. We had to learn how to run our whole offices remotely. Um, it pushed us to go paperless, which we were in the process of, but 
you know, obviously now we're really there. Um, so I think it's going to change some of those things. So I think it has, I, I think it has a big impact on our, our, you know, teaching, um, our, you know, the way our, our parents view schools, uh, the way we view how we need to run our schools um, to be very different in the future. Well said, Dan, thoughts that you'd like to add to that? Uh, a lot of the same lessons. I, I, you know, I just, um, we're hesitant, I think, to really, in education, um, look at some of the things that we do differently, right? And I think from, a, from an operations standpoint, I think we have the opportunity now to, to, to really say we were put in a situation where we were forced to do things differently, and we've responded so well to it. What lessons can we take from this, you know? People don't have to necessarily be in the office every day now. It's not that they're not working. We can do some of these things remotely or differently, right? It's not about you having your cubicle in the central office anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's are there some things that we can do differently? I think it's going to lead to better efficiencies. I think we're going to be a, a, a much more efficient system as a result of some of the lessons that we have learned here. I also think what has naturally had to happen here is you, know, you describe it as kind of that cross-training, right? That we've all had to be asked to be do different things and understand a little bit more about um, kind of what our colleagues are doing and what they have to do so that we can make this happen. But it's also, I think, uh, a big lesson for me is it's really required us to increase our trust of members of our team um, because it's not that daily person-to-person check-in. It's just like, I'm going to count on my team to do what they need to do. Um, and, and to pull things off, and, and we've done that very well. So, um, like Karen said, I think you know, if we're going to uh, a lesson that we may learn, we can draw a positive out of this. It's really going to force us to have conversations about how we look at education differently, and how we make education better, rather than twenty-five to thirty seats, uh, butts in a seat in the classroom on a daily basis. It's like. How do we blend this? How do we make this more authentic and real? What what uh, role can kind of some of the authentic uh, internship job shadowing uh, and work in the in the real world? Uh, how can that become a bigger and better part of what we do on a daily basis? Because I think we're learning the person to person uh, interaction in schools is so important. It's, I mean, it's yeah, the relationships is key but we don't necessarily have to be face to face for everything anymore and i think this is going to really cause us to have a conversation about how does education look different in the future yeah i think that's i think we're seeing that across the board right um you know typically i think a lot of us uh we we move cautiously to the next step because we we have a lot at stake we want to make sure we do it right uh, but I know when I was talking with the non-for-profits, they were saying, you know, we had things that were in trial that are immediately now the new norm. That's how we're doing it. We have no more time for pilot. We're in. We're going. And so um, I, I think, you know, that is, I, I love feeling the energy from both of you that there are good things that will come out of this. I mean, we all wish this were not the case, but that we find those silver linings and we move forward. Um, we're getting close to wrapping up, but I have a couple last quick questions for you. And I, I just, the first one is point of pride because you're both at the, at the head of two very large prestigious school districts that work hard on behalf of students. What has been through this last six weeks, your point of pride? Karen. 
Well, I would say how everyone has really pulled together and has worked practically nonstop to try to make sure that we could pull off the things that both Dan and I have been talking about. And I'm sure Dan is going to say exactly the same thing <laughs> um, because that's what it's take. It takes a team and um, there's a lot of behind the scenes things that people don't even think about that have to happen to make, you know, all of this work, whether it's the, you know, feeding all the students, whether it's all the academic stuff, making sure the technology works, making sure that our teachers have the resources and the support they need, um, you know, when they have questions or need things. There's just a ton of things that are happening. How are we closing up the school year? How are we doing all those sort of end of the year things remotely? How did, how did we learn to do all these things remotely? So it's just really how everyone from our custodial staff, you know, all the way through our central office staff have, you know, taken this on and it's, have worked to make this, um, make this work. We're really fortunate, I think, to be in this community that has supported education for so long um, because that's helped us with that. But um, I also think it takes the hard work of everybody knowing that they are part of making everything happen um, and feeling that sense of pride in, in their work. Dan. Yeah, biggest point of pride for me is the people without a, without question. You know, it hangs on the poster behind me here. An exemplary school district is the result of a collaboration among its students, its staff, its parents, and its community. And so the point of pride for me is just how all of us have come together uh, to really say, what can we do to make sure that this is the best that it can be? How can we be better than anyone else? How can we ensure that our kids get exactly what they need when they need it? And that has relied on the partnership. I mean, one of the things, Karen mentioned this, and I agree with her, a, a, a tremendous point of pride are the 203 and 204 communities, where there really is a spirit of all means all. Uh, we will work collaboratively. We will work together to make sure that, you know, every child, every family has what they need to ensure that there's academic, uh, social, emotional, and mental health. And so that's the point of pride for me is we have all come together. And I think for our community, another important point, point of pride, uh, Karen and I have talked, I think every single day since this has happened, <laughs> what are you doing about this? Hey, can you help me with this? Or what are your thoughts about this? So it's not just what's 203 doing, what's 204 doing. It's what are we doing as, a, as an educational community to ensure that the kids in our communities are getting what they need so that they can be successful and, and we'll move forward from this. Yeah, I, I, I love that when I first got on with both of you and Karen said, oh, yep, I've been talking to Dan every day. It was really, uh, really great to hear that. And I know you've always been a strong collaborative team. So uh, and I'm sure this has been no different. Um, Last question for you, because a lot has been said. There's a lot of stuff happening out on social media for this class of 2020. And Dan, you've got two class of 2020, both at the high school level and at the college level. Uh, you know, nobody could have imagined for them. That's a that's a rite of passage, right? Kind of, it makes me a little bit sad even thinking about it. I had a memory that popped up with my kid's graduation sign on it. And I thought, you know, boy, this is really uh, just a, uh, just a difficult time for those kids, um, not only in terms of not being able to celebrate, but also not being able to kind of close it out and say goodbye, but also, I'm sure, a lot of concerns about where they're going into the future and what that's going to look like for them. So uh, as you kind of wrap up with me, you know, message for the class of 2020. Karen, I'll start with you. 
Well, I would say probably, and Dan knows, because we're probably going to have a conversation about this later today, right, Dan? Yeah. Um, this is this is such a pain point for us um, because we're so sad about this. Um, we want and and know that our students deserve that celebration that they've waited for. Um, but our problem is, of course, that um, we have to comply with, you know, executive orders with the public health department, with what our, you know, government agencies say that we need to do. And that's really, you know, posing some extreme limits on what we can do with schools the size of those in the high schools in 203 and 204, right? We have, we have large schools. So um, we're not in a position, you know, to do the big gathering fun things that we know that our students want want to do. So I guess I would say that we are all working and our I think our high school principals and staff feel this really strongly as well to try to find um, alternative ways that we can honor our seniors. Um, we know it's not going to be the same. And, you know, that's that's what we're all living with um, is knowing that it probably will not be the same. But, but we want to try to find ways. I guess the, one of the things that I want to say is, I think when you're in the moment, you don't always recognize that you're in, like this is historical. You know, what's happening here is, is history. And so what I would say to some of our, our students is, you know, you're in this moment. I would think about, you know, documenting what it's like to be in this moment. And because that's what years, decades from now, when people talk about this, you know, they will be the class of 2020 that this, you know, this pandemic was a, a part of. Um, and for them to, you know, really think about how they might, um, you know, document their feelings, their thoughts, what's happened, um, because they are part of history. Yeah, that's a that's a very good way to think about it. I'm not sure. I, I, I do think we're all very much in the moment, right? So, Dan, uh, comments to your class of 2020. <laughs> Yeah, because this one's uh, personal to me, it's a little different. Uh, simple message. We love you. I, this is, you know, you didn't ask for this. Um, but let me, you will go on to change the world because of the experiences you have right now. You're going to learn. You're going to grow. You are going to change the world. The class of 2020 will do amazing things. And I, I am sorry you don't get to celebrate the way that you wanted to but you are ready to go out and do amazing things. We love you. Wow. Well said. Well said. Um, I want to thank both of you. Uh, I, I know your days are extremely long and you have lots of things pulling at you. I want to thank you for spending a little time with us, uh, giving the community at large a little bit of an understanding of what that pivot looked like right when it started back in mid-March to what it looks like today, uh, to, to really the feelings that I'm sure uh, you're expressing on behalf of your students and your staff and your parents as we close out uh, the academic year of 2019. 2020. Um, you know, on a personal note, we wish the uh, class of 2020 all the best, uh, all the best. Your journey is going to take you lots of places, uh, and we are excited to see where that is. We look forward to continuing to work with you, District 203, District 204, uh, as we work as a community to educate that next generation uh, who are going to go on and, and will be different because of this defining moment in history. So um, thank you for your time. Thank you to our viewers. Uh, we appreciate uh, your support of NCTV7. 
2017. Uh, please stay connected with us, informed with us. Uh, let us know what's going on at your place uh, and in the community. And uh, we'll keep working to keep you informed, connected, and engaged with us. Stay safe. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.